I hope you have a Bible with you, and I hope you're not afraid to use it. All right, let's turn, please, to 1 Kings. 1 Kings. As you see from the screen, we all need a mother's heart. You say, really? Well, there's certain things about a good mother uh, and a godly mother's heart that we all need to build into our lives. Uh, But not every mother has a mother's heart. I have been uh, in a prison talking with a mother whose child was dead by her own hand. I've talked with mothers who were filled with spite toward their children. They were angry and vindictive and always told the kids they were an accident or they were a burden on them. But I've known a lot of mothers who were kind and gracious and loving like my own mom and like the mother of my children. But the mom we're going to look at this morning is, is not a typical mom. This story from 1 Kings 3, uh, in any culture in history, this mom would not have made the banner of Mother of the Year. She wouldn't have been recognized for that. Uh, her lifestyle did not allow her to provide a healthy and nurturing environment for a child. I was at a pastor's gathering on Wednesday, and uh, Pastor Mike Henry from uh, Royal View Baptist over in Gilbert, a bunch of us pastors were together. And we were talking about what we'd been preaching on, what we were going to be preaching on, and Mike shared he was going to use this passage, and I had been thinking about using this passage, and we talked about it, and I decided I, I'm going to begin the message Sunday with this passage, and as you can see on the screen, we're also going to move to First Thessalonians in just a minute, but First Kings chapter 3. Now, This story is about verse 16. We're going to pick up in verse 16. Then two women who were harlots came to the king. Now, if you don't know what a harlot is, it's a woman who makes her living selling her body in a way that God disapproves of. Um, We don't know why they became harlots. We don't know if their husbands died or if their husbands threw them out. In their culture, there wasn't a safety net of any sort. And in some of the cultures in the world today, they're still not. Um, uh, Her lifestyle did not allow her to provide a healthy, loving, godly influence on her child. But maybe she felt like she had no other way of survival. We don't know. But listen, God does not approve of that lifestyle. God very clearly says in Scripture, sexual intimacy is reserved between a husband and a wife in a committed, monogamous relationship. Anything less than that violates God's principles and, God says, hurts you. Uh, The laws God has is not, stop, I don't want you to have fun, so don't go there. That's not God's law. God's law says, stop, I want you to be blessed, so don't go there. I have met several women who were in that lifestyle None of them felt blessed. None of them felt like they had a good life. It was a desperate circumstance. And some of them have left that life, and we rejoice in that. But life is hard enough. But now this woman who has this difficult life has her child threatened. Back to verse 16. 
Then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. There was no one with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. She rolled over on him. That still happens today. Not a good thing to share a bed with a little baby. So she arose, the lady whose son died, rose in the middle of the night and took the other mother's son from her side. And while your maidservant slept and, and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I examined him in the morning, he, indeed he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke to the king. So we have a woman's deceit. It doesn't say they were best friends. It doesn't say they grew up together. It doesn't say whether they were sisters. We don't know anything except what they were doing for a living and that they shared a house together. Now, when I was in the Marine Corps, I had some roommates I didn't particularly like. Um, I had a neat opportunity to lead one of them to the Lord. But sometimes that interaction was very difficult. Growing up, I never had my own room. I shared with my older brothers, and then when my uh, next oldest brother left the house and moved away, I thought, I'm going to get my own room. And my parents moved my younger brother in with me. Uh, And so I had my own room for about two months, and then I got married and decided I never wanted my own room again. We don't know how the relationship was. What we know is one woman was deceitful. Now, I can't imagine her heartache. Her son was dead, and it was her fault. I can't imagine that. But what she did was evil. She stole the other woman's son. Now, how, how long had that one woman had her baby before he was taken away? What's it say? Verse 18, three days. And so now in verse 21, it says, She looked at him, he was not my son whom I had born. You think after three days she'd know exactly what her son looked like? Yeah, she'd been looking at his eyebrows. She'd been looking at the way his nose crinkled up. She knew his eyes. She knew his ears. Did you know your ears are unique like a fingerprint? If they can get a print of your ear, they can know exactly who you are. If they have a matching print in some database somewhere, they probably do now take baby prints and enlarge them. I don't know. What do they do for old men whose ears get, I don't know. But she knew exactly whose baby she had been holding. And she woke up in the morning, and she went to cuddle her baby, and he wasn't breathing. And she felt terror. And then she realized, that's not my son. And then she saw her son with the other woman and said, that's my son. And the other lady, no, 
your son died. This is my son. So the king had a dilemma. The woman was being deceitful. The king had a dilemma. In verse 23, King Solomon said, The one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. He had a dilemma. You see, he had the same problem you and I have. He couldn't see the heart. God can see the heart. God can look inside you and know exactly what's going on on the inside. You know, we've heard about things in the papers, right? Uh, This conservative politician arguing for family values gets outed as actively involved in uh, immoral relations, sometimes with a woman, sometimes with a man, just evil things that he was doing. But he talked conservatively. We've seen it in some churches, Pastors of of larger churches and smaller churches who have been living a lifestyle that wasn't consistent with what the Word of God says or what they were preaching. I sat under the ministry of a pastor who ended up walking away. One of my Bible college instructors ran off with one of our Bible college students instead of staying with his wife. So the king had a dilemma. He can't see the heart. He also has another dilemma. Because he can't ask the one woman to describe her son because by now both women would describe the same one. Because now the, other, the second one has spent time with the living son. And she would describe him the same way as the first woman would. He can't do that. So he has a dilemma, and then he makes a decision, and he decides he's going to expose the heart of a mother. Look at verse 23. The king says, the one says, this is my son who lives. Your son is the dead one. The other says, no, but your son is the dead one. My son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Now, I know that sounds wicked. Solomon's not going to do that. He knows the word of God expressly prohibits that. But he is going to test the love of a mother. And in verse 26, The woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other, the evil one, said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is the mother. Can you imagine being put in that situation? It's, it's hard enough when you go to the hospital with a child who's deathly ill and you're having to trust God and trust the doctors. That's hard enough. But to have somebody say, we're going to put your child to death right here, she immediately, no, my Lord, the king. And she tells the king what to do. 
Don't do that. Let her have. Because there's two things about the true mom. I don't know if you want to write these in your bulletin. We're going to read from your bulletin a little bit. But if you want to write these two things down. Number one, the true mom yearned with compassion for her son. Instantly, no! I can't imagine the evil of the other woman. Yeah, she, as long as the other woman didn't have a living child, she was okay. She hated so much. I can't imagine that. But the true mom yearned with compassion. She would have rather seen her son raised by somebody else than to see her son die. She yearned with compassion. Number two, the true mom was willing to suffer loss that her son might live. Suffer loss that her son might live. Some years ago, a guy was working on a car, and the jack broke. And the, jack, the car came down on the son, and, and he yelled, and the mother came in from outside, and the mother was small. She was just over five feet tall. She was slim. She wasn't a bodybuilder. She was, and she picked up the car. And while she held it up with one arm, she pulled her son out from under the car. She did permanent damage to her back. Do you think she regretted that? No way. She saved her son. The true heart of a true mother is willing to sacrifice for their kids. How many of you have an idea that occasionally kids can be inconvenient? (laughs) Occasionally, they can take a lot out of you. They can interrupt your sleep. They can interrupt your days. You could get calls from the police department saying, we have your child, come pick them up. You can get calls from the school saying, your child just did something. He can't come back. When I was a kid, they always suspended kids from school. Now they make you stay in in in-school detention. That is way better. Because I know I got suspended and I thought, sweet, I don't have to go to school. I thought it was a great vacation. So they don't do it that way anymore. But kids take a lot out of you, don't they? Oh, but, but once they're grown, uh, then the burden's just lifted, right? No, it's different. It's different. Benjamin doesn't wake me up in the night crying anymore. He wakes Meredith up crying. (laughs) But but see, it's different. You still have the burden. It's a burden you will carry to your death. But a loving parent would never, ever give up that burden. They're willing to sacrifice for their child. And Solomon rewarded the true mom and reunited him with her son. It doesn't say that he had any punishment for the other mom. But how many of you think they'd stop living together? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, last year I think we looked at Lydia uh, and on Mother's Day, and one year we looked at Lois and uh, Eunice, uh 
Timothy's mom and grandmother, and we've looked at different moms and good moms and bad moms on Mother's Days, and we've looked at other things. But what we're focused on, we all need a mother's heart. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he's telling them a little bit about his ministry to them, and he describes his behavior as a mother with an infant. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, that's where he was beaten and imprisoned when he was in Philippi. The book of Acts tells that story. As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from deceit. Some cult leaders try and get you to follow them so they can get your money. Not Paul. Not in deceit or uncleanness. There was nothing inappropriate about what he did. Nor was it in guile. It was truthful. He wasn't manipulating. Verse 4. But as we have been entrusted by God, I'm sorry, been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words. As you know, there are speakers who just tell you wonderful things about how great you are. That's not what Paul did. He shared the truth of God's word. There are some wonderful things we do, but all of us have been sinners that need to be saved by grace. So, He goes on, neither at any time do we use flattering words, as you know, or a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. He wasn't using them for personal financial gain to become a rich man like some speakers do. Uh, Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men. He wasn't there to be recognized as the evangelist and apostle of the year. He wanted to minister either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. He deliberately chose not to. Now, I am fully supported by this church. I don't have another job. Well, I teach at International Baptist College, but I'm an adjunct instructor, and it's very limited salary that I get, and it really barely covers the commute, and some semesters doesn't even cover the commute, depending on how many days I teach in a semester. But, you know, it... We do that because it fits with the mission of this church. So Paul's not saying it's wrong for a preacher to get support. What he's saying is, as an apostle, he could have had that, but he chose not to. In the same way, when we send a missionary out to another country, name one of our missionaries. Belascos, where do they serve? Spain. When they went there, they did not get any offering from the people in Spain. They were 100% supported by churches in the U.S. Now their church is growing a little, their people are growing, uh, and they're getting some support for the church from the congregation. But the Belascos are supported by our offerings and the offerings of other churches here in the U.S. who have partnered with them. Why do we do that? 
So the people in Spain know the Belascos did not come there to get anything from the people in Spain. They came there to give to the people in Spain, to give the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so they can be saved. And that's what Paul was doing. So uh, Paul's not setting a precedent. This is what all preachers must do. But when you're a missionary going in a foreign country, that's what you do. For 12 years, I went to Cuba regularly and taught pastors and spoke in churches. Not once did I get an offering from the Cuban people. Not once. We were there to give to them. People here gave offering to help make it happen, but not people there. So Paul says, uh, we were not trying to get rich because of you guys. We didn't seek glory from people. We didn't make demands. Verse 7. But we were gentle among you. Isn't that interesting? Apart from this passage, when you read about Paul, he's sometimes confrontational, right? He's in your face with Barnabas in Acts 15, saying, hey, you know, I don't think we should take John Mark. And Barnabas said, we should, we shouldn't, we should, we should, we shouldn't. And they separated. And then in Galatians, he has a problem with Peter. And the Bible doesn't exactly say, but I picture Peter being a big, strong guy. Because he took a fishing net full of 153 big fish and he pulled it into land. That's not a wimp. That's a big, strong guy. So I picture Peter being this big guy. I picture Paul being this little guy. Little guy, skinny guy, you know, five foot two, 120 pounds. And there's Peter. He's at least five six, five eight, and got some weight on him. And Paul got in Peter's face, rebuking him because... Peter was not walking the way he was supposed to be walking, the way the Lord had taught him. So he corrected. And later on, Peter wrote about his dear brother Paul. He didn't hold it against Paul. He was glad that Paul corrected him back to the right way. He was probably embarrassed that he got off track for a short time. But Paul said, we were gentle among you. And then he describes it in more detail just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Like a nursing mother holding her little baby, giving life sustenance to that child in a tender moment. Paul said, we were gentle like that. Verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were also well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. So, let's look back at what Paul said. There's three things I want you to think about. The beginning of verse 7, gentleness. A true mother has gentleness. A godly mother is characterized by gentleness. Now, some people have struggled with anger. I'll get there. Some people have struggled with anger and rage. Every now and then my tongue gets about twice as thick as it's supposed to be, it seems like. With anger and rage. And their natural response is not gentleness. It's, you, you just see the nostrils flare, the skin turn red. That's their natural response. But... When you walk with Christ, you can have a supernatural response. 
you can be gentle like a nursing mother. So, I don't want to get weird or have you think strange things, but just picture this. A mother nursing a child. Do you think that mother could get hit in the lip by the hand of that kid? Oh, yeah. Some of you mothers are saying, oh, yeah. I remember that. Split my lip. Would the mother then yell at that child? Hopefully not, right? Hopefully, they just pull the hand of the way, hold it down. See, sometimes when we're ministering to other people, we respond naturally instead of supernaturally. So, years gone by, a long time ago, we had somebody working in Awana who got mad at a kid and yelled at a kid when it wasn't dangerous. It's okay to yell if it's dangerous and you need to stop something. But they should have been gentle and they weren't. We haven't had anything like that for a long time. Gentleness is important in all of our lives, but especially for a good mother. Second thing, Paul says, love and affection. The end of verse 7, he says, cherishes. Jesus said his followers should show love even to who? Their enemies. They should show love even to their enemies, even to those that hate them. As this mother did in this story, she responded in love. No, let my son live. Now, this doesn't mean the Lord wants his followers to overlook sin, but it does mean he wants you to show grace even towards sin. Thirdly, gentleness. Secondly, love and affection. Thirdly, giving her life, soul, and self. Giving her life, soul, and self. Uh, Paul said, uh, we... You became dear to us, so we gave you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, our own souls, our own selves. It would have broken her heart to give her son away, but she would have done it for the sake of her son. So how does this apply to you? A lot of you are not moms. All of the men are not moms. All the boys and girls are not moms. Some of the ladies are not moms. How does this apply to you? Well, last Sunday, we looked at Matthew 22, 35 through 38. Don't turn there. We talked about loving God. Our need to love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. Mark adds with our strength. You have your bulletin? In your bulletin, it has our memory verse for May. We had a little video on that last week. Our memory verse for May. And it's down here at the bottom of the, of the inside of your bulletin, bottom left. Memory verse for May. Let's say it together, okay? Or read it together. Ready? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second 
like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. None. See, you are challenged in the word of God by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You need to show love. You need a mother's heart. You need a loving mother's heart. God wants, He expects, He demands that you develop a heart filled with love that moves your hands to action to help. Heart with love, hands that help. And sometimes the church toward our culture has been a heart that hates and hands that hurt. We need a heart that loves and hands that help. You can't take away the sin of people, but Christ is willing to do that if they will trust him and you can share Christ with them. You can share his heart. God wants you to have a mother's heart. He wants you to love and cherish. He wants you to sacrifice. He wants you to be gentle. He wants you to show great affection. He wants you to give your life for them as he did. Not on the cross, but in your life. Taking up your cross daily and follow him. You gain a greater family on earth when you open your heart to other people. Man, I I was sad when Jeff told me he wasn't able to be here in church today. My brother's not here, man. I miss Jeff. We're all going to his house after church, right, Sherry? No, I miss Jeff. There's, There's a brotherhood. There's a familiness when we're part of God's family. And... Uh, But we also gain great rewards in heaven. When we live the way God wants on earth, He rewards us in heaven. It's a win-win. It's better for you. It's better for the other people. There's an eternal reward. It's a win-win-win. So, I have a few questions for you. How to tell if you have a mother's heart. Number one, how do you spend your time? Self-indulgently or caring for others? Maybe you could keep a diary for a week or two and keep a record every day when you do something to help somebody else. And if you spend most of your time indulging yourself, change. Second question, who is frequently in your prayers? It's not wrong to pray for yourself. Not wrong at all. It's not wrong to ask other people to pray for you. But what you should be doing is interceding for other people. You should be praying for neighbors that don't know Christ. People you've met that don't know Christ and asking the Lord to show you how you can reach out and, and show, share the gospel with them and show them God's love and share His truth. Uh, You need to be praying for people who are hurting, struggling, in difficulty. Are your prayers about your life, your needs, your desires, your comforts? Or are they about what the Lord wants and about the needs of others? Who is frequently in your prayers? Number three, to whom are you willing to share your heart? Hey, it's hard. It's hard sometimes. 
you share your heart with somebody and they trample it. I remember meeting with a preacher, the group of pastors I'm in, and then I met separately with a smaller group. And uh, I remember one person who was in that bigger group, and I shared a very personal concern with him. And he shared it with other people. And that was inappropriate. So we can say, I am never going to share again. But then we die. We were designed by God to share our heart. So don't stop just because somebody abuses it. Share his love. Show his love. Share his truth. Share your heart. To whom are you willing to share your heart? If you're not willing to share your heart with people, then you're not following in the footsteps of your Savior because he shared his heart with people. And, and the people he shared his heart with sometimes didn't understand him. But he did it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Number four, with whom are you willingly sharing the gospel? If you say, well, nobody... I think you need to change your priorities. Jesus left heaven so that people on earth could be saved. The highest priority of Jesus' life was letting the message that they could be saved be known to people who are already on their way to hell. They are already under condemnation because they have not yet received Christ. You and I, we need to do a better job of sharing that. If you're not sharing the gospel, it's great that you're nice to people. That's great. But we need to share the gospel. Number five, to whom are you showing a caring heart? We, uh, I honestly, I don't know of it here in this church, but uh, before God brought us here, Kathy and I ministered in Sawarita, and we had somebody in our church there who was really sweet. Our kids loved that person, just thought that person was great, uh, so kind and gracious and loving. And then I met someone out in the community who knew him. And I said, oh, we know him. He's, he's from our church. And the other person's like, he's the meanest man in town grumpiest, fussiest. He did a great job of sharing his heart at church. And I commend you for that. But don't let it stop at the door on your way out. Share your heart as you go out, just like your Savior shared his. We all need a mother's heart. We need to be gentle. We need to be sacrificing. We need to be sharing and caring and loving and concerned. And we need to do what's right. Because lives depend on it. Our future rewards depend on it. Our happiness now depends on it. You can be happier with less when you're walking with the Lord. And if you're not walking with the Lord, there's no amount of money that will make you happy. Just ask some of the richest people in the history of the world. And they said, how much money is enough? What was their answer? 
just a little bit more. They were never satisfied with billions. But you can be satisfied with Christ. I don't remember the song we're going to sing. Change my heart, oh God. We're going to sing that song in just a minute, and it's kind of a closing hymn and kind of an invitation for you to respond to the Lord. Maybe there's something in your life that needs to change. I don't know your heart. Only the Lord does. Maybe there's something that needs to change. If there is, then we're going to sing about it, and you should do something about it. Change my heart. Give me a mother's heart toward those kids down the block. Give me a mother's heart toward those coworkers who drive me crazy. Give me a mother's heart toward that clerk in the grocery store who's sometimes obnoxious. Let me show God's love the way God wants his love shown. Jim, come and lead us.